You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. When it comes to your ideal client specifically, and this is the thing that really lights me up, this is where you really are getting to know that one single person who you would love to serve every single day. And once you start to flesh that person out and then you come to meet them, oh my gosh, it changes your business entirely. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it's amazing to see you here where you are challenged to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. Sometimes you start talking to somebody and it's like, oh, wait, wait, my spirit, my spirit is jumping. It's doing a praise dance. I'm hot in a good way. Like I'm like my, my blood is pumping and my brain is like, yes. And my heart is full. And this conversation, hoochow. Oh, it was so good. Oh, it was so good. I knew that I wanted to have this conversation about niching and it just went in such a beautiful and expansive place. And I need you to listen to it. And I need you to feel what was happening because the energy was immaculate. I am fully honored to have had this conversation today with Chelsea Stevenson. She is the professional henna artist, business strategist, and founder of Hennapreneur. With a focus on value-based branding and sustainability, Chelsea brings passion and intensity to her role as an artist, educator, and mentor. She owns the most celebrated henna boutique in Baltimore, Maryland, right here local to me, and supports creative entrepreneurs around the world through her online platform. She holds a strong value for building a business that honors and supports your life, not vice versa. When she isn't serving her clients and students, you can find Chelsea planning her next getaway or indulging in a shameless Netflix binge with an artisanal tea in hand. It's a woman after my own heart. So excited for you to meet Chelsea Stevenson. Let's get into it. Hello, hello. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning. How are we? We are mad at spring for not showing up just a little more feisty right now, but otherwise, fine. 
<laughs> yes, I know that's the truth. Otherwise, totally fine. I am the the sun is shining, which makes my plants happy. So I'm gonna go with that. So I'm just glad to have you here this morning. Likewise, thank you for having me. Oh, of course. So as we get started, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing lately is when I bring somebody on, I always kind of read their bio. Our bios are very often like, here's credibility markers. Here's what I've done. Here's what I do. And I like to humanize people. So share one thing with us about you that we wouldn't find in a bio. Ooh, okay. So um, my clients refer to me as the Beyonce of henna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you would never find that in my bio, but yeah, that's a real thing. My clients, so um, at the Henna Boutique, because uh, I have a brick and mortar where I service clients and as a professional henna artist, and um, there, yeah, I've 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 come to to have this name, this the Beyonce of henna, and um, it's starting to like bleed out into the internet space <laughs> slowly but surely. So I can't seem to sh- like shake this thing off, and so I'm starting to just lean into it instead. I'm from Texas, okay. so you know that's my girl. She's she's representing H Town. I'm from the Dallas area. Um, and you know, yeah, so you, that's, I guess a little secret. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. It makes me want to whip my hair, even though my hair's not long enough. I can still whip it in my head though. Hey, I know right. that's right. It's the energy. Right. <laughs> yes. Love it. Okay. Uh, so, so Beyonce of Hannah, I'm here for that. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to get into was I know that when I met you back in December, I really appreciated the fact that niching down, which is something that a lot of people are afraid of, was something that you were really fully embracing. And it was something that was actually helping you to flourish even more. And I really want to kind of dig into that some. I want to get into, you know, kind of what that means for you. But I also know that, like, that's not always easy for everyone. And we already know that people, especially women of color, don't always have access to those types of things. And so for anybody that does not identify as a white man that is trying to consider what niching is and how it can support them, Mm -hmm. I want to go there with that. So I want to start with asking you to share with us what it is that you were taught about niching down and what you've realized is was a falsehood. Like it's not even true. That's not how this really works. Yes. Yes. I love this. I'm so here for this conversation. So, you know, I remember when I first was introduced to the concept of niching down, basically the gist of it was you need to base some random, you know, person that you create in your mind off of a handful of demographics. And those demographics are not likely not going to look like you. They're likely not going to represent your community. Um, they're likely mm, probably not someone you're even going to want to hang out with because, because <laughs> yeah. that's where the money is, right? The money right. is over there. Mm-hmm. It's over there somewhere. And then there was like this other aspect of, well, that's how you niche down with a client, but you also kind of want to keep your client avatar kind of vague because you don't, you don't want to go too far. You might offend or you might, you know, you, you go too far and you may not be able to attract anyone at all. So niche down on your service. Get real specific about your service, sure. But like play real safe when it comes to the ideal client, if you will. 
And so that's how I was taught. That's how I was introduced to the whole premise. And for me, working in an industry that is already so niche, I mean, as a head professional, there's... <laughs> I mean, I walk in the room. I'm not going to find someone else who does what I do. You know what I mean? No. no. So it it already, I was kind of in this position where it's like, well, I am niche. So, but what does that actually mean? And as you start to get out there and work with the people, right, you quickly come to realize that what you think is niche enough isn't enough because suddenly you're dealing with people who maybe you don't want to spend your day with, you know? And what's the point of building a business if you're building a business that you really dislike, you know? So um, over time, I, I, instead of, instead of remaining safe, instead of playing within this, like, you know, this framework that was provided to me, I decided to just really dive in. And so what I found was instead of focusing on the demographics, I began to make a shift in my marketing and in the way that I approach idle client uh, ideation and niching down in general. And I started to get very rich. And instead of just staying there at the, well, what can we check mark? You know, what can we check on a, on a intake form? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because right. that's our demographics, truly. Right. Correct. If you could give me a yes or no. Right. Right. How can we go beyond that? So I started to really dive into psychographics. I started to really dive into jobs to be done theory. Um, I started to dig into these other concepts and these other aspects of my ideal client, not just to know them and why they were choosing my business, but to know them as a human being. Right. What was it that makes them tick? And so I found that, you know, building or leaning into niching rather will require you to 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 develop this genuine connection. And yeah, you you will get specific in in you know niching down with your service and there's a little bit of a formula around that. Of course, you want to cross, you know, your specialty with the weight perhaps your delivery type or there are so many different ways that you can, you know, create this sort of niche inside the market. But when it comes to your ideal client specifically and this is the thing that really lights me up, this is where you really are getting to know that one single person who you would love to serve every single day. And once you once you start to flesh that person out and then you come to meet them, oh my gosh, it changes your business entirely. Okay, so you said so much. Girl. Like and so and 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 let me say thank you because this, <laughs> there was so much. Okay, so for one thing, I think that just the fact that niching is not just about what you do. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about who you're doing it for. And these aren't just separate entities. They really do intersect. And it's not really thought about in that way because it's simply, okay, well, you're a copywriter. You're a copywriter for who? A copywriter for does what? You know, who does what? And it's like, but who's this human? Who is this person? Because of the fact that like when you said, do you want to hang out with this person? We create this Frankenstein ideal client that does not exist because they are 27 to 32. They read, I I don't know, Essence and they still watch BET, whatever the thing is. And it's like, that's, you just made this person that doesn't really exist. Like the most boring person ever also. Right. (laughs) <laughs> well, and that's the other thing, because you going with these random demographics or societal indicators, you have not really thought about psychographics, which means you're also not allowing people to be people because maybe that person isn't 
28 or 29. Maybe they're 48 and they just happen to be your quote unquote target market. But you have decided because they don't fit into this box, again, check in the box, that mm-hmm. they don't they don't matter. They don't apply. They're not welcome. And that doesn't work. And the minute that you go only with demographics, that's already a problem because every time we do our from implicit to explicit masterclass, we're having to get people to go deeper and to stop doing the surface piece of, you know, when you think of an ideal client, well, how old are they or where do they work or how much money? That stuff is great for Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. And there's a place for it. There is a place for it. Yes. And also like, but do we operate in a place of like mediocrity or do we operate from a place of excellence? Uh, you know, a word, a word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is absolutely accurate. If you want to do the bare minimum and go with the cookie cutter, sure. Go ahead and go with your Facebook analytics to run your ads, go with those pieces. But if you're trying to get to a human, if you're trying to figure out if this is the person that when you see their name pop up on your phone or in your inbox, you're like, yes, I've been waiting this all to you. I was just thinking about you. I, I, I have something for you. If you want that, then you need to figure out who they are. And it needs to go beyond how much money can they put in your pockets. Correct. We need to stop looking at humans like dollar signs. This is one of the things that I speak to my students about, like, nonstop. I'm like, no, you. it's not about the dollar. First of all, if you are a business owner, and it does not matter the type of business that you are delivering, it does not matter, product, service, industry, does not matter, right? Mm -hmm. We are in the business of people as entrepreneurs. We are in the business of people. And if we continue to operate from this headspace that the only value that our clients bring to us is the dollar bill at the end of the day, we are doing them and ourselves an incredible disservice. Absolutely. There's no question. But that's that's the old archetype that was taught through the lens of white supremacy. Absolutely. That that worked for white folks. That was given to black folks as a way of doing things. And for years, a lot of us did it, but couldn't figure out why it didn't feel right. Why well, how about because work? it's not our culture? Well, listen, can we just listen? You know, I'm like, hello, this is not the way that our cultural communities operate. No, it's not. No. That is a very Eurocentric thought process. And we don't operate in that way. And so, of course, it's not going to resonate with us. And and especially if we are in the business of serving other black people specifically, that's my, you know, my ideal client is a very black, blackity black, black woman. Okay, like (laughs) I don't get to talk to her like that. Right. And I would never talk to her like that anyway. Right. Right. So come on. And this is where if I think about something like Black Wall Street. Okay, Tulsa, mm. that was mm. that was ripped away from us. We built a community based on community, based on interdependence, based on humans. It wasn't based on demographics. It wasn't based on how much money can you get me is how much can I raise you up so we all come up. Correct. Correct. And that's not the supporting structures that are built into how you are taught to run a business, a mm-hmm. thriving business that supports you and allows you to be of support to others. Absolutely. Folks, 
we cannot talk around topics. We have to use the appropriate words, the appropriate language to call it exactly what it is. No tiptoeing around it, no matter how palatable it may or may not be. And in order to get to a point that you want to be at so that you are in alignment with what matters to you and why, so that you can be clear on what this means to you. That way you can chart a course that prioritizes your values and the impact that they can create. This is exactly why our implicit to explicit masterclass was created. Leading through your values means being explicit about what you support and how your actions are aligned with that. My gosh, if Chelsea has not given you that exact energy today, you have missed out. You need to go back and listen or just continue listening because we have more. Trust me, every single person that you hire, every decision that you make, every business that you buy from, it brings you closer or farther away from your values or closer to them. These are the decisions that will shape your company culture and support the type of impact that you want to make in the world. To learn more and to sign up today, visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit. So when you hit that point of like, mm, what y'all were teaching me don't work. I don't want this. I want to do this differently. Was there like any one particular experience or like light bulb moment of like, oh, 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 shit. No, no, none of that. I'm not doing that anymore. Was there anything that really kind of was that moment when you were like, I need to do this? So, yes. Yeah, there was. And actually, it kind of happened in waves, right? So I always was very cognizant and conscientious around who I was doing business with. Mm-hmm. Because I'm I'm the type of person anyway, I'm I'm very cautious about my energy, right? I'm not trying to just spend time with anybody willy-nilly. That's not okay. How I'm gonna I'm pause doing. you. I'm gonna pause you on that. Cause I need we need to talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Because people do not understand that whether it's virtually, whether it's in person, whether it's being in the same store, whether it is walking by you on a street corner, um it, 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 existing in a space with somebody, your energy is being commingled whether you realize it or not. Absolutely. And there's not any conversation around how energy conservation and protection is not addressed in business. Mm, that's a you word. Know. And then we get we get upset because we get burnt out. <laughs> right. Right. And so to acknowledge that you are like, wait, no, 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 my energy, but my energy. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a thing. And I really I, I had to pause on that because I feel like anywhere that you about to go, I need it to be understood that when you decide to make shifts and you make that shift based on how well you are able to show up at your highest level of good as your best self to support others needs to be a priority. It's not a nice to have. It's not a frivolity. It's a necessity. You preach that word one, one more time for the people in the back. You know, like, yes. So I'm like, I, I just had to stop you there. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> but I was like, oh, please. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's a real thing. So for me, I, I remember when, honestly, I remember the first time that I realized like niching down and being incredibly specific works. Right. And at the time, I... So let me give you some context. I had just moved. This is when I just like gone full time. I opened my business in 2011 and I went full time in 2014. And when I went full time, 
it was like ripping the bandaid off in all of the ways. Like I was 36 weeks pregnant. I moved across country. I moved from, I was living at the time in Nebraska, moved back to Texas. Um, don't know anybody there. Like it's me and my husband. I have a, a my young son who's about to be school age and I know I want to homeschool. And um, I'm leaving social work. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to, it didn't make sense for me to try to go through all of the hoops to move from one state to another. And like, it was just like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to go all in on my business. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, my choosing to niche down (laughs) was very self-serving. Honestly, I started to target a very particular, uh, area of the corner of the market because I was, again, I was about to have my, my child. I wanted to breastfeed exclusively. I wanted to be able to homeschool. I wanted to also be working with people who, um, understood my, my own values around motherhood and the importance of having my children nearby me, um, when they're in this very young formative stage, um, I wanted to be able to work with people who were not going to act a fool or be offended by or talk crazy to me because I showed up with my baby strapped to my back, right? right. Like this is the way that I, I, and this was not a question. Legacy is my like core value. That is at the, the base of all the things that I do. And legacy does not just end with my business. So part of that legacy is it, it, ties to my motherhood and it ties to the way that I choose to show up for my family. So in order for me to be able to facilitate though, this dynamic that I wanted to create, I was like, I'm going to have to get real specific about the type of person that I want to work with. I'm looking at crunchy moms, right? I'm looking at like (laughs) who's wearing Amber, right? Like, and who's going to appreciate the fact that I can flip this, you know, this, this three month old, four month old baby around in this strap. Like, you know, like who's Mm going to be okay with that? Who's going to be okay with me whipping out my breast to feed my child in the middle of an appointment? Right? Like these are real life things. And so for me, it was a question of aligning my business with my own personal values and with my lifestyle, the lifestyle that I was aiming to create. And I always say this, your actions have to align with your aspirations, right? So even as I was creating my marketing plans, I'm looking at the the, the larger goal, right? What, what did I have? Um, what was I aspiring to? Now, this is though where it became a little bit interesting. I went, I went back to Texas and I was there for about a year and a half um, before moving back here to the Baltimore area. And <laughs> I loved my time there. Don't get me wrong. I loved my time there. But it it didn't take very long for me to realize this is not, this ain't it. Right. I can appreciate being able to work with other mothers. And I made a lot of beautiful connections there. And also those mothers did not look like me. And I was exhausted. By the time I moved back to the Baltimore area, I was exhausted. I was so tired of code switching. I was so tired of having to be this like model minority. Um, Because it's not just enough, like it's not enough for me just to be black. I'm Muslim also. So, you know, I'm showing up and I'm covered and people have questions. And this is all happening at the time where I was there with this is also the same time where there's like the protest and whatnot in Garland, Texas. I don't know if y'all remember, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but like there, I was living in an area where things were very charged right. and I was exhausted by feeling as though I had to wear a mask 
inside of this thing that I was co-creating that was my, my thing. This is my business. Why do I have to do that? You know? Right. And so when I moved back to the Baltimore area, I said, you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm obviously I'm relaunching my business from the ground. Beautiful opportunity to do it this time and go all the way in and not be so scared about, are there going to be people who look like me who are going to support me? Are there going to be people who look like me who are going to be willing to pay my premium rates? Are there going to be people who are going to be, you know, we have a little, there's a little stigma in the black community around breastfeeding. Now it's getting much better. Huh? Now it's much, much better, actually. But, you know, earlier on, there's there's a lot there. And I'm from a Southern family. Again, I'm from Texas. So this, I mean, there's some stuff there. We got some baggage, you know? Right, exactly. And so I, I, I was really concerned about that. And, and yet, I was not willing to continue to compromise what I was building for my own sanity. And also, I was like, at what point, Chelsea, are you going to step into what this actually, like, what is it that you actually want to do? What I actually wanted to do was empower my community with an ancestral art that was not lost, but stolen from us in the Middle Passage. This, if you were someone who was a descendant of enslaved people, this is a part of your heritage. Right. And why is it that I'm now reserving these services or or um, highlighting these services for primarily white women? Out of out of fear that they're the only ones that are going to pay me out of fear that they're all, that, you know, because they're yoga adjacent, um, that that's going to be the safe bet for me. Like oh it didn't feel good to me anymore. Right. And at that point, I said, no, I need to align this. I need to further align this. It can't just be aligning the business with the lifestyle. It really has to be aligned with the core value. What do I feel that I'm placed here to do? And if I'm here to empower my community, then, bitch, it's time for you to get your stuff together. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to need you to stop playing small. Right. Know? Right. So, well, yeah, that was the journey. I think, but see, here's the thing. I don't know, to my memory, and my memory is not always perfect, but Mm. I don't know in all the years through my beauty business when people would come on site while we were doing hair and makeup and people would come and do henna art. Mm. I don't know that I ever saw a black woman come and do it, which is something that I hate Mm -hmm. that I'm having to even say. I can't stand it. It's not something it's it it is marketed to brides that happen to to be Indian or Southeast Asian or something along those lines or the white woman that was appropriating something that actually did not belong to her culturally. Correct. And the fact that, like you mentioned, this is something that culturally was taken away like so many other things and then we have to struggle to go through a reclamation of it. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, you know, this is something that it 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 really does light me up. <laughs> it really does light me up. There's nothing like sitting with a client and having her ask me, is it okay for me to be getting henna done? I, like, I'm not, I'm, I want to be cautious of cultural appropriation. And I'm like, sis, where are you from? Like, tell me about your family. <laughs> right. And as soon as we, you know, like point me to point me to that plantation, because I, I got some news for you for real. Right. And, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's incredible. First of all, let me take a step back. Oftentimes my clients will say, 
when I wear henna, I feel. And then they start to describe this emotional, energetic elevation that they feel like queens. They feel strong. They feel connected. They feel um, like they there's a spark between themselves and source or themselves and earth. And it's like, honey, what that is, is you, you ju- you're just retapping in. So that's, this is your heritage, boo. Right. Like, this is your ancestry. And many people don't realize, because here in the West, we, we do, we we very much look at henna through the lens of South Asian culture. That's what's, you know, shown to us on TV. That's what's shown to us on social media and so forth. Or you have, again, you know, this like new agey crystals and sage mm-hmm. yoga pants, sort of like white yes. woman wearing henna. And yes. which, I mean, okay. But like there is an erasure, even inside of the industry itself, there is an erasure of black anything, African anything, and henna originated in Africa. Like, it's wild to me. And I have to acknowledge in this moment, my own ignorance and my own like teachable moment, because I'm like, shit, I did not know that. Most don't. It's never been modeled to me because I, and this is where, as you said it, I was like, I've had times in my head where I was like, this is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And can I have this? Can I get this? And I have not received it because I'm like, I don't know if I don't want to be the yoga pants wearing yogi over Mm -hmm. here talking about I want, I don't want to be that Karen. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person. But Mm -hmm. to hear you say this, I'm like, well, shit. I did not know that this was actually mine too. Absolutely. All over North Africa, East Africa, West Africa, even today, even today. You know, what's what's really interesting is um, if you look at how henna is used, because henna is used in cultures all over the world. So there's like, there's always this conversation around cultural appropriation and so forth, which I can appreciate. At the same time, oftentimes it's ill-informed. Simply because mm-hmm. henna is something that has, I mean, it's been around for literally thousands of years, right? right. <laughs> and it has been adopted by so many different cultural, uh, ethnic, religious communities. And so, and each of them uses it in a little bit of a different way. So henna it, being a medium can't inherently be uh, appropriated. But the ways right. in which that medium is, are, you know, is used, that's a different conversation. So... Right. What's so interesting is when we look at the way that henna has been used culturally by, we can just, I'll generalize it and just do it through a blanket African communities, right? Typically, it's been used for celebration and self-care. When you look at it through the lens of how it was adopted by the South Asian community, it's more often tied to um, to an occasion. It's event-based, And don't get me wrong, this also exists inside of African communities, even up until today, right? When you get married, you have a baby, uh, you complete your postpartum period, for example. These are times where it's very common for the African woman to use henna to celebrate. And also, this for us was like doing your nails. This for us was like going to the salon and chatting with your girls and having henna done. In fact, there are African communities today where if you are married and you don't keep up your henna, it's like you're unkempt. It's like community mm-hmm. will look at you like, are you even like, you even taking care of you, sis? You know? So right. there is there is there is this 
uniqueness around the way that our ancestral communities have used henna that was incredibly uplifting. And it was an everyday sort of occasion. We were the occasion. (laughs) We were the celebration without an event being necessary. Very interesting and very unique. Just the fact of being able to reclaim the fact that we are the occasion and that honestly, this like to it, when you said like if you didn't keep your head up, it's like sis, what's happening? You okay? You mm-hmm. good? And that in me, literally, in I can feel it in my chest. That literal feeling of like, oh, this is what self care was. This is what it meant to care for yourself, not this foolishness mm-hmm. of how it's told to us and sold to us today but about that spiritual connection, about that reverence for yourself, just simply because you woke up today. Literal, I woke up like this, Beyonce. Literal, I woke up like this. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, That, honestly, that whole piece could be a whole conversation in itself because we, we are denied things, but we deny ourselves of things because we don't know, because of the information that is given that isn't fully accurate and Mm. not knowing if there's other information to be sought or trying to seek it out. And then things not existing fully. Cause sometimes sadly, that's the thing too. Sometimes it's like, I'm finding bits and pieces of information, but I can't find everything. I can't find Mm. the whole story. And I think sometimes that's where being able to figure out what are these things that you can use to reconnect can maybe sometimes help to fill those holes in. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things inside of just my industry that <laughs> if you look at the history of henna, anytime you you converse with the henna professional, oftentimes the first place that they're going to take you is India. <laughs> the first place they're going to take you is Pakistan, right? They're going to take you to mm-hmm. to the Emirates. They're going to take you to, you know, the Gulf culture, uh, uh, Gulf cultures and Gulf nations. And it's like, well, yeah, there's there's history there, but are we really like? <laughs> it's because it's not even documented. We did, we have not even. <laughs> it's wild right. to me. Right. We don't even have right. proper acknowledgement of our connection, our ownership of this beautiful art form and method of self care and self honoring. And how sad is that? How sad is that? Truly, you know. So for me, it's incredibly empowering to be able to take this art and reintroduce it to the community and say, actually, here, this this not only is it something that you can do, this actually, this is for you. This was from you. Of course you feel connected to it. Of course you do. That's not by chance. All that. I'm like, I'm I'm like, now I'm hot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, whew. So as we start to wind down. We've talked through some of the immensely valuable, you know, knowledge bases around why niching is soul serving and community supporting and how this is not only something you do for for money or um, gain for your business, but also for the culture, if we're keeping it real. And so Absolutely. is there a myth about niching, anything that we haven't already addressed that you would want to dispel for anybody that is thinking about niching for their client 
or for their actual business and their services? Anything you want to tell them, like, don't believe this, this lie about it. Oh, absolutely. Don't get caught up in your own head. Can I tell you, <laughs> there is this fear and it, it's it's wild to me. Anytime I work with a client, whether I'm it's in my program or I'm consulting or it, it doesn't matter, this always comes up where there's this fear of, well, if I niche down, I'm going to limit my ability to grow or I'm going to limit my, my ability to scale. And it's like, no, actually, the more specific you are and the more vocal you are about your values, about what you're here to do through your work, your work is the means to a much greater end, right? So the more authentic you are about that, and I'm <laughs> even using that word, it can be a little, you know, that feels mm-hmm. a little buzzwordy today. Right. But let's like really lean in because this is, this, is, this is truly the essence of what it is. When you own what it is that you're here to do, not only will you attract more clients, despite what you might think when you first start to do it, You'll attract more clients, but you'll also attract better quality clients. I, it's so interesting. You know, I've been in business, again, I've been in business since 2011. And um, I really can count on my two hands how many negative experiences I've had. Like when I think about, I, honestly, I don't even think that I could fill my two hands with negative client experiences. It just doesn't happen because we are so aligned at a values level. That conflict doesn't, when it arises, doesn't even feel confrontational. Right. It, and this is something that you can build in your business. You can attract better clients that will pay you what you're looking for, who will value you, who will respect you, and who you will be so excited to work with every single day. And it might feel exclusionary when you start to really hone in and really do that work of niching down. But I promise you, though it seems counterintuitive, this is actually what it takes to grow in a way that feels so empowering (laughs) and so well aligned with the direction that you actually want to go. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it. I feel like you just gave an action, but I'm going to have to ask the question because I always ask it. And it feels real wrong to not ask you this in all your glory, the way you're showing up today. And... (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is the one action that you would want the listeners that are are partaking in this amazing conversation? What is the one thing that you would like them to go do after this episode to create change and impact? Oh, it's so easy. Go deeper. Mm. As soon as you think you know that person, as soon as you think you know your client, go deeper. You need to be asking more questions. You need to know that person like the back of your hand. And... I'm not just talking about what sort of brand she wears and where she likes to, you know, have her brunch. And and those things are great. You need to be tapped into her childhood trauma. You need to be tapped into what things she's been holding with her. What does she need to forgive herself of? Like, what is it that actually is motivating her when she gets up in the morning? And what is keeping her up late at night? Right. We need to know those things because, again, our work is the means to a greater end. Many of us are, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you're a heart-centered entrepreneur. You're someone who's motivated to make change, right? And so if that's the case, you have to honor the person behind the transaction. So go deeper, go deeper. 
Who child I love you? My gosh. I'm <laughs> like, ooh, sometimes you I apparently I did not know that my my soul needed this this morning because this, all of this. Oh my gosh. Chelsea. I'm here for it. Look at we're having a good ooh. time. Yes, thank you so much. So make sure that you tell the people where they can find you. Oh, absolutely. You can find me on just about just about anywhere at Hennapreneur. <laughs> yeah, I'm Hennapreneur. If you're in the Baltimore, D.C., DMV area, whatnot, or coming through, feel free. You can stop by the Henna Boutique, too. Um, it's Cardamom and Clove Henna. Amazing. We will also have all of your information and articles so that people can connect with you, give this beautiful black woman your money, and thank you, my love. Thank you for having me. So much appreciation for the work you're doing here. Didn't I tell you this was good? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This episode just, again, like Chelsea gave you so much. And just the fact that everything that you heard, it came from the fact that she understood what it meant to get microscopic about who it was she wanted to work with, who you wanted to spend time with. And how she wanted to support them. She knew those things so clearly. And that's what makes such a difference in being able to have a business that pours back into you and that you enjoy, that you love being able to be a part of. It matters so much. I I cannot get any more explicit about how important values are. Chelsea laid out exactly why you really have to get clear on them and they need to play into every single thing that you do. No questions asked. I so appreciate you being here and listening. And I want to make sure that I acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehannock, Piscataway, and Antigua people native to this area known as Maryland. Every conversation that I have here, whether I'm talking with you or I'm talking with our guests, I'm talking with India. They're always in order to normalize the challenging things so that we can make them a part of our everyday exchanges so we can remove stigma, create real change and connection so that we can continue getting people to drop the veil while challenging their thoughts, feelings, and actions. For being here and taking in this conversation, I thank you. So until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?